So this is the second uh, sermon in our series. The series is called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned at Christmas. And that's an interesting thought that, that everything that's important to your faith and my faith and about being a Jesus follower, everything that really matters is somehow, somewhere found in the Christmas story. And so today, I believe, and especially as, I, as God's been, as I know some of your stories and even hearing some more this morning, God has a message that is so incredibly important and relevant to so many of our lives. So to set this up, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are going to look at what's perhaps the most famous verse about the Christmas story in all the Bible. It's a verse that uh, I think many of you would be familiar with. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And it says this, and she, which we know is Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the what? Let's say it together. There is no room for them in the? In the inn. Now, you and I, we have manger displays. I mean, raise your hand if you set up a manger display every, every year, right? So a bunch of us do. Even people who don't know Jesus will set up manger displays. But that manger display that you and I have does not depict reality to what happened back on that day 2,000 years ago. I mean, the evening wasn't peaceful. Your manger scene looks pretty peaceful. The, your manger scene's clean. That evening wasn't clean. Your manger scene has the, 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 you know, the wise men and the shepherds all there together. The wise men and shepherds did not come and see Jesus at the same time. The animals in your scene, manger scenes, they look so peaceful and serene, and they're just like, they're all turned towards baby Jesus, right? And they're just sitting there, and they're calm, and that's not how it was 2,000 years ago. And we think, oh, Jesus is laid in a nice little crib. Isn't that nice? And yet a manger is actually a feeding trough for animals. And even though that's kind of the reality, the bigger question that we're asking ourselves this, question, this, uh, this morning is, was it an accident that Jesus was born in that situation into those circumstances? Is there a message for you and I in the manger? See, I would suggest that God, Jesus, Savior, doesn't he deserve better than to be born in a manger because there's no room in the inn. The priority should have been for the Savior to be born in a palace. But Jesus left his palace and came down to a parking lot, so to speak, because there was no room in the inn. I mean, Jesus should have at least got a room upgrade, right? I mean, at least had the upgrade. I mean, he should have at least been, you know, moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Now, I want some honesty here. If you have no idea what that reference is, raise your hand. No, come on, come on, be honest, okay? Well, it has to be this group right here. That's that it, you know, and that's okay. It was one of the greatest shows of all time, right? And what was it called? Jefferson's. As kids, we used to walk around like George. We'd walk around our house just like that, man. Oh. What was going on? 
Why was this happening? Why was there no room in the inn in the small obscure village on the outskirts of Jerusalem? Let me make a couple of uh, points or notes for you to think about. First of all, if you and I were to travel from the Dome of the Rock today, the Dome of the Rock is is the Temple Mount uh, where the temple used to be in Jesus's day. If we travel from the Dome of the Rock and we take Hebron Road, which is Highway 60, it's a 6.34 mile trip from the Dome of the Rock to the church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, which is the traditional site where they believe Jesus was born. 6.34 miles. That's essentially the same distance if you and I were to travel from here, Life Point, to the Safeway on Laguna and Franklin. Less than a couple hour walk. So, so that's the location of this village that's actually an obscure village in many respects. The prophet Micah said of Bethlehem, you are one of the smallest towns in the nation of Judah. So why is it Why did Joseph and Mary, who lived in Nazareth, why did they make the 90-ish mile trip to this small, obscure village called Bethlehem? Well, you might know the story. Caesar Augustus had decided that he wanted to do a census, and he wanted to do the census so he could collect taxes throughout his empire. I guess he just wanted more money, right? So more money, and so he collects taxes. So the census required that all Jewish males would go back to their ancestral home to register. And since Joseph was a descendant of David, he had to go to Bethlehem. Now, was it coincidence that what occurred that night that, that Mary was ready to give birth? Was it a coincidence that they happened to be in Bethlehem? That Micah chapter 5 also said that the Savior had to be born in Bethlehem? Was it a coincidence that they were there at that time? Was it chance? Or was it the hand of God moving in their lives? You and I have a lot that goes on in our lives and we wonder, is it coincidence? Is it chance? Or is it possible God is moving in our lives, even when we don't understand? Hold that thought. God takes us further into that as we continue this morning. But as you and I think about this idea of an inn, we can't help but think through the lenses of what we're used to. We think of an inn, we think of a a hotel or a motel. Here's what you need to understand. Even your worst hotel or motel experience is better than any in experience back 2,000 years ago. Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad hotel or motel experience, okay? Nothing compared to what it was like back then. I've had a few bad experiences. The one that stuck out with, to me the most was this, which I call the worst hotel, motel in experience I've ever had. It started in Mexico. It started in Mexico on our mission trip. We were ready to come home. The problem was as few of us had to stay behind the group because one of our trailers had been damaged at the hands of somebody from another church. We won't tell you any more about that part of the story. So we had to stick behind, get it all fixed up, and and that was a story in and of itself. We're tired. We finally make our way up the freeway. We head to San Juan Capistrano where the remainder of the group is. We had our our rooms reserved at the inn there in San Juan Capistrano. So we arrive, it's 10, 11 o'clock at night, we're exhausted beyond belief, and we step up and say, hey, we're here to get our rooms. 
It was myself, the Langs, and the Guybersons. And the, per- the innkeeper said, there's no room in the inn. I was like, excuse me, we have rooms reserved. Sorry, sir, there's no room at the inn. I said, how's that possible? They said, well, this person gave away your rooms because they didn't think you were coming. That person has not been invited back on a mission trip with LifePoint since. (laughs) I thought to myself, okay, that stinks. Well, no problem. My parents live about one mile down the road. I will call my parents. Hey, mom, hey, dad, I know it's 11 o'clock. Sorry to wake you. Um, Myself, Guybersons, Gooches, we're kind of, Langs, we're stuck here. They gave away our room. There's no room at the inn. I could hear my dad in the background as I'm talking to my mom, basically saying, don't come here. (laughs) Don't bring all those people here. My dad had, it was a house a decent size, Kelly? It's it's plenty large, right? And uh, it was just him and my mom, but there was no room at the Delphs Inn. Did I tell you it was my family? Did I mention that part of the story? There was no room. I'm going to say it out loud for all of heaven to hear. Dad, you can hear me. I don't know. You turned me away. (laughs) So I'm standing there hurt, angry, tired, frustrated. I got, I told everybody, let's, let's go, let's go. And they just were like, okay. And so we got in the vehicle and I started driving. One thing about me, if uh, those of you know me a little bit, you know, I cannot drive at night. I just, my eyes get heavy. It's like, I, I see trees and it's a tunnel that I'm driving through. It's just not good. They don't know how to tow a trailer. So I just, I get in, but my eyes were wide open, man. I was hot. I was angry. I was hurt. And I started driving, went through LA track it, traffic, got into the grapevine. And there I see it. What will go down in my memory? I'll never, forget it. It's my image of the story, the Castaic Inn. We pull into this Castaic Inn because we're like, I'm exhausted. The trees were just getting closer and closer and, and we need to sleep. So I pull in. They happen to have one room available. The five or six of us go into the room. One bed. It was an old smoking room that had been converted to a no smoking just because the sign said no smoking. I think they still had the original sheets on the bed. It was terrible, it was awful. The guys and I decided to go get some food. Gabby was there changing. We found out later that the innkeeper just walked in on her. It was just a creepy, bizarre place. It's time to go to sleep, Darren snores. I kick him all night long, waking him up. He's like, what are you waking me up for? I said, because you're snoring. It was an awful night. It was terrible. None of us got any sleep. By the way, somebody came up to me after first service, showed me their phone of their reservation. This week, they just stayed at the Casaic Inn. (laughs) And they said this. They said, you know, it is all perspective. They said for them, the Casaic Inn was moving on up because they said, it's better than sleeping in the car. And I thought, hey, that's good perspective. No matter how awful the Castaic Inn was for me, so every time you need to understand, those of us who go on the mission trip to Mexico every year, you realize every year I drive by that and I just cry. (laughs) It was awful. No matter how bad it was for us, we weren't roughing it. We weren't truly suffering. 
Back in Jesus' day, when you had to stay at an inn, you were suffering. You were roughing it. They didn't have the comforts that we have. They didn't have a bed. They didn't have sheets. They didn't have heat. They didn't have coffee. They didn't have the waffles in the morning that are ready to go for you. Luke actually helps us understand this idea of inn a little bit more. In his gospel, he talks about two different types of inns. They had a couple different types of inns back in Jesus' day. One type of inn that he mentions, the Greek word is different in Luke chapter 10 than Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 10, verse 34, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe some of you know that story and that word used for the inn where the Good Samaritan took the man who had been beaten up by robbers and he took him to the inn where the innkeeper took care of them. He paid him and he took care of him. That type of inn is a commercial building. Building. It was very small. The innkeeper just provided a roof over people's head and basically provided a fire, got them out of the elements and get away from robbers. But that was really about all it was. There's another type of inn that's mentioned in chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 7, our verse. It's a different Greek word. And that word for inn is not a commercial building. It actually refers to a guest room a guest room. There was no room in the guest room. That was a very, very, and we say room, that was just a simple, small part of a house that existed. And, and, and to have no room there, that room was available for travelers or for family members. Everybody's coming to Bethlehem because of the census. So whether it was family members took the room, we don't know. But what we do know is that for whatever reason, there was no room. So they were relegated to where the animals were. You would have the, the small house, you would have the small room or inn. And then right off of that, in Bethlehem in particular, because of the, the hilly terrain and what it is, right off of that, you have lots of caves. And so when we think of stable and we think of barn and we think of our manger scenes, that's not what it is. I would encourage you to chuck those manger scenes and get a cave. No, don't do that. It's not a sentimental, but that's where Jesus was, was born in a cave. That's where the animals stayed to stay out of the elements. That's where the manger or feeding trough was. That's the picture of what happened for Jesus. So what's the message? What's the message for us? And where does God want to take us the remainder of the morning? Why would God send him his son into a mess like this? Why would he put him into that situation? Why a manger? Why no room in the inn? Well, on December 21st, 1862, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, Charles Spurgeon who was known as the Prince of Preachers, he gave a few answers to that question. And he says this. He says the answer to the question of why. He said that Jesus was born in a manger. Number one, to show his humiliation. To show God or Jesus' humiliation. He said, would it have been fitting that the man who was to die naked on a cross should be robed in purple at his birth, referring to royalty? Would it not have been inappropriate that the Redeemer who was to be buried in a borrowed tomb should be born anywhere but in the humblest shed and housed anywhere but in the most ignoble manner? In other words, Jesus died in humiliation. So it was fitting that he would also be born in the same humble fashion as well. 
And the New Testament writers talk about this, this idea of humiliation and humility. And in first, uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul writes about this, and he tells you and I this humility is something that Jesus showed for us. It started in the manger. It will end on the cross. And throughout his life, he was despised and rejected. And Paul said, that example of Jesus is our example. And Paul went on to say that you and I are called to demonstrate humility to one another, just like Jesus demonstrated humility. The message in the manger is a message of humility, that God has called every single one of us to live humble lives. As we just observed the commissioning of Armand Delgado, the first attribute that I just look for just off the top of my head before I even dive deeper into the scriptures just the first one that always comes up is are they humble are they humble are they humble are they humble and do they serve God faithfully that's where it always starts and then we dive deeper and to see if they round out the qualifications of eldership Jesus lived a humble life and he has called us to the same type of humility Spurgeon went on to say that Jesus was born in a manger this way because Jesus was king of the poor. That's interesting. He was king of the poor. Did you know in ancient times, the leaders or kings would would fight uh, from time to time with their soldiers? And the reality is the kings or the leaders who fought with their soldiers were the most admired, the most respected, and the most appreciated. Julius Caesar fought with his men. The Spartan king, Leonidas, fought valiantly with his warriors. And perhaps the most famous of all, Alexander the Great, stood alongside his men, and the people loved Alexander. You see, people follow a leader who they think is with them rather than above them. Wouldn't you agree with that? That If someone's in the trenches with you, that's a person you want to be with. That's a person you want to spend time with. Jesus was not above his people. He was with his people. He was one of them. He was the king of the poor. That's interesting. I did a Google search. Here's what I typed in. A true king of the people. I was just curious, like, like, hist- like historically, like, is that a term, like, you see a movie or whatever, who's a true king of the people? You know what was interesting? I hit, I, you know, I hit, you know, go. The first four references were all related to Jesus. I actually didn't expect that. Um, I was looking for something else, and so I was like, oh, okay. I went through the first two pages. The majority of the first two pages, a true king of the people referenced Jesus. Jesus was king of the poor, the broken, the downtrodden, the widow, the orphan, the outcast. In fact, Jesus made it clear why he came and how he came to these type of people. Luke chapter four, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. The manger shows us that Jesus came to serve all types of people. Sure, the rich, but also the poor and the powerless and the helpless. Sure, the famous, but also the obscure. Jesus loves all of us, no matter who we are. And the manger is the best way to show you and I that he he is one of us, that he is with us, that he cares about all of us. Third, Jesus was born in a manger to invite any of us who would humble ourselves to join his kingdom. 
The manger shows us, if you'd be willing to humble yourself, you can join the kingdom of God. Think about it. Jesus was born like this to show his humility and his humiliation. He went from the mansion of heaven to the manger. He did so that you and I could actually have confidence that if we would humble ourselves, we can approach him. Jesus said over and over and over, if you will humble yourself, I will lift you up. I will exalt you. I will honor you. The manger is a very picture for us of humility. Nothing could be less intimidating than the manger. And so Jesus gives you and I the message, the invitation. And he says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, anybody who is weary or burdened, and I want to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus demonstrated that humility starting back at his, where he was born. And he just says, I'm here for you. I want to help you. I want to support you. I want to encourage you. So come to me. Come to me. That's the invitation. And if you and I would humble ourselves, he will lift us up. God goes on, and I think he has a few more messages for us. One I'd like to spend a moment on, probably for the remainder of our time, as you think about what's the message in the manger, it's this message of humility. But there's another angle. And the message in the manger is that God uses all sorts of crazy circumstances and situations and events, even the ones we don't understand, in order to accomplish his purposes in our lives and in in the future. It didn't make sense that Jesus would be born in a manger. It was actually insane. It's crazy that there was no room in the inn, that they were turned away. And yet God used those circumstances and those events to have him be born in a manger so, so that God could work out his purposes in their lives and ultimately in our lives. Years ago, Heather and I served at a church in Napa. It was our first ministry. I was a student ministries pastor. We had no kids, and so the first five years of our ministry was just pouring our heart and soul into the church, into the students, and into our leaders. It was an exciting season for us. It was a great season of life. Heather finally got pregnant, and we had Kobe, who was our oldest son. Heather worked at the church, and over over the next few weeks or, or so, I got into discussions with the leadership and offered or suggested a way that the church might work with us with a new schedule, a modified schedule, looks a little different, so that we could have this child and she could continue to work at the church. Personally, I thought I made a pretty good case for how we can make it work. They're still going to get all their time. They're still going to have her in the office, all of that. But we did need to kind of shuffle things around, we thought, to make it work. Well, after a couple weeks of those conversations, it kind of finally came time for the answer, for the results. I came into the conference room where the executive pastor and the chairman of the elders sat. They gave me the verdict. There would be no flexing on their part. If Heather was going to continue to work at the church, she must continue to work the exact same schedule. And it was there in that room 
that my heart sank. I stood up, I was like, what? Like, that's one thing I didn't expect. I thought they'd come back with something else, but that was not what I expected at all. I stood up, I walked to the window, I can still remember standing there and just mumbling on my bre- under my breath, I can't believe this is happening, I can't believe this is happening. They're not gonna flex at all. I stood up, I turned around, I talked to them some more, Real, there's nothing and they're like, this is how it's gonna be. In that room, that was the day, the beginning of a series of events that ultimately led to someone who would enter our lives, who would become my mentor and friend in ministry. His name's Mike Cook. To this day, I meet with Mike. My staff meets with Mike. The eldership has met with, the elders have met with Mike. He is an incredible and valuable resource to us. What happened that day in Napa, in that conference room, ultimately led to Heather and I ultimately starting LifePoint Church. And I can tell you this, that was the event that triggered the next series of events over the next six years or so. God used that crazy, insane, ridiculous situation to accomplish his purposes in my life, my family's life, his church, this church, and his kingdom. God used that circumstance, hear me say this, that made zero sense at the time. I'm not getting into the depth of the story and the emotion of the story and what the church meant to us, but God used what made zero sense at the time to accomplish his purposes in the future. Mary's about to give birth. It's insane that she was turned away. It made zero sense at the time, and yet Mary and Joseph could not have known that the negative turn of events would be part of God's plan to bring his son into the world. I want to ask you a question. What is happening in your life right now that doesn't make sense? What is going on with you that there is confusion? You look at circumstances, you look at situations, and you go, I don't get this, God. It doesn't line up. You might even say like I thought, this is insane. God, this is unfair. God, I've done this. I have done this. I, you know, on and on and on. What pain is discouraging you right now? What pain is distracting you right now? What relationship is causing you to wake up early in the morning to have difficulty going to sleep at night? What is happening in your life that doesn't make sense? I want to invite you this morning to turn your heart and your mind to God and to trust that he can and will work in your lives. Ephesians chapter one, I love how Paul said this. He said, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He makes everything, another translation says, he makes everything work out according to his plan, the way he intends. You might be in a situation that wasn't planned, but God can work something good out of that. Listen, God knows what he's doing. Do you believe that? Do you believe God actually knows what he's doing in your life? Because if you believe that, remember, no, God is sovereign. He can do anything he wants to or needs to to accomplish his purposes. 
Keep in mind, God is not going to ever waste one of your pains, one of your hurts. God will not waste your no room at the end experience. He will use that to accomplish his purposes. So how about we focus on what we know about God, that he's good, that he's just, that he's merciful, and whatever he is doing, even if it's beyond what we can comprehend at the time, know that God is working and he will accomplish his purposes. Isaiah chapter 55, it just says this. God says, my ways are beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're just, what God's doing in our lives beyond what we can imagine today. Oftentimes, it's us just being faithful in the moment and then looking in hindsight that we say, oh my goodness, look what God did in my no room for the inn experience. Is this hitting anybody where you're at today? Because some of you are living this out today. God is good. He will not let you down. You may think he's letting you down, but he will accomplish his purposes in your life. So humble yourself. Trust him. He has made it clear. If you humble yourself, you can come before him. He is one of us. He does not stand above us. He got in the trenches with us, born in a manger. Come to the poor. Come to the obscure. Come to those who are set aside. That's me, and I think that's a lot of us. Jesus is here for us. Turn your heart to him. Trust him in your circumstances.